The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, which reminds us of the darkest day on earth when Jesus Christ was crucified. We can't imagine how his disciples felt after watching Christ die on the cross. And we all know that one day we will face death ourselves in a very personal way. As the old saying goes, death and taxes are the only two certainties in this life we are given. So as my guest today, I have another close friend who is in the business of death, the funeral business. Eventually, everyone becomes a customer to this business. And just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we are forced to wrestle with some rather difficult questions regarding our faith, or lack of it, when death comes near. My Christian brother, Tim Williams, gave me a card that states, we do funerals every day. The families we serve do not. Ladies and gentlemen, the Houston market trainer for Dignity Memorial, Tim Williams. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, Tim. Well, thank you, David. I am so glad to be here, and hopefully we can bring some things to light and just share God's goodness in what we do and what I do on a daily basis. And it is. Not everyone can do that. That's kind of a a depressing, you know, business for people like me, and I'm just glad that, you know, you have that gift and that ability and and that dazzling smile too, brother. (laughs) So, Tim, my wife and my sister have both been hospice nurses who spent weeks caring for patients who were marching down the hall toward the exit sign. You know, what incredible people who can work in that role, helping to prepare families for the loss of a loved one. They have a unique opportunity to witness to both the patient and the families wrestling with questions about their faith. When the finality of death occurs, their next step is funeral preparation, which is your vocation. Tell us a little bit about your background and the, and the training a person receives in the, in the funeral business. Okay, David. Well, first of all, I'm a licensed funeral director by the state of Texas, attended Commonwealth College right here in Houston. Uh, I've been licensed since 1988, so that'll be 34 years this coming November. I am also a board-certified restorative therapist licensed by a faith-based training institute right here in Texas as well. So, and again, just my life experience of being on this earth 65 years have equipped me to help families. Wow, a therapist. I did, I did not know that. Yes, sir, indeed. Surprises. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so here's a quote from some of the hospice material I was given when I had to take care of my parents in the preparation for their, their deaths. And both, both of my parents are deceased now, and I had the uh, responsibility, you know, as executor and was also power of attorney. But uh, I thought this hospice material, which was written by a nurse, a hospice nurse, was fantastic. But here's a quote from her, her, her little pamphlet. How we approach death is going to depend upon our fear of life, how much we participated in that life, and how willing we are to let go of this known expression to venture into a new one. 
Fear and unfinished business are two big factors in determining how much resistance we put into meeting death. So, Tim, in, in situations where people are on hospice, they know they're going to die. They have time to participate in planning their own funerals. Are, are you involved with them while they're still alive? And uh, and if so, what what is that experience like? Well, yes, I'm quite involved. First of all, we take care of the financial needs first in forms of what we call a prearrangement. Um, and then we're all actually able to talk about the planning the every last detail, how you want to be remembered, how you want to be celebrated down to the very last detail, food, the venue even. I've found that going through the process, the family finds a sense of relief and comfort, mainly because they are able to discuss out loud the inevitable. Um, The door to the journey of grief is now visible. It's not hidden or ignored any longer. So there's there's a, an acceptance, and then when you get into the funeral planning, now that's when, you know, you have a, a, a an illness or some uh, chronic condition where you know that death is coming. Now mm-hmm. sometimes death comes suddenly, and it comes when people, uh, you know, violently killed. Uh, sometimes it's accidents, automobile mm-hmm. accidents, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's that's young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must be. Much more difficult when the deceased loses their life suddenly, and uh, and how do you handle those situations differently? You know, how how can you help the family when they are wrestling with the acceptance of the loss, and you know, because of that, perhaps you know, possibly a loss of their faith. Well, as tragic as it can be, the suddenness of a loss, we just do our very best to celebrate the good, the humor of all things that made you laugh or maybe even made you laugh at them at or about that loved one. So, again, we just simply try to accentuate the positives because, again, it's unexpected. Right. Well, you know, when people are making their – it is a celebration of life. You know, I've Mm -hmm. attended enough funerals now. I seem to be going to more (laughs) funerals than weddings, you know, at our age. Yes, sir, (laughs) indeed. uh, (laughs) But uh, they they can be uh, quite joy-filled. you know, here, here's another excerpt from uh, a hospice book on, on the grief process. Mm-hmm. So grief brings with it fear. When someone around us dies, we are reminded that we can also die. Mm-hmm. We are reminded of how little control we seem to have over our life. The illusion that other people die but not me is mm-hmm. taken away. It makes us afraid. We don't realize we're afraid. Mm-hmm. We just know we are uncomfortable and we hurt inside. And so the grief process, uh, you know, is, is not... An event, you know, and uh, I know you know much more about it and are certified as a counselor in this, you know, but but you're both a Christian and a funeral director. How does the spirit lead you in these situations when there's an opportunity to witness to the family in such a delicate moment? And can you give us an example of when you did that? Well, it comes to mind um, just because I'm a Christian and a funeral director does not mean who I am serving is a Christian. I have to be very deliberate in what and how I share. We actually have um, literature that, for example, we give to parents of young children how to share with them what death is and what has occurred. We also have, especially for adults, we call it Compassion Helpline. It's a 24-hour call center manned by licensed, trained, Ph.D. 
counselors that help walk not only family, but also we make it available to the friends of that family as they go through the grief process. Um, and this is all at no cost to our family. So those are two avenues that we can help families. Fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I actually, I think I told you this, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I'm 61. Mm-hmm. You know, Kim and I, we don't have any arrangements yet ourselves. Mm-hmm. We looked, we looked into it and uh, we went and talked to our financial planner and we mm-hmm. said, hey, we're thinking about buying this prearrangement thing. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, that, that's not a good financial decision, mm-hmm. you know, because you could live 20 or 30 more years and, you know, you do a net present value calculation on all this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we were like, yeah, but I tell you, you know, having been, you know, my brother also passed away. Mm-hmm. And so I've had, I've had to kind of manage three family funerals and mm-hmm. I'm the youngest. I didn't think I'd be doing that, but it was so helpful when, you know, my dad, you know, was in the military and he told me, you know, when you're in the military, you know, you're in the business uh, uh, of where people get killed yes, <laughs> intentionally <sir. laughs> and they make you sign a will. And he, he remembered when he was a young man, he was, mm-hmm. his hand was just shaking, you know, as mm-hmm. he's signing his will. But it was so nice that all of that, you know, was, was prearranged. So uh, w- we're going to go ahead and do it, I think, despite what my financial planner says, because uh, I just want to have that taken care of. Yeah, any, any, any you know, advice or comments on that? You're doing the hardest part, the transactional part. We have um, two schools of thought. What your financial planner said wasn't wrong if you are needing to continue to invest those monies, but getting the financial part out of the way, and that's the biggest hurdle we see, especially today, and especially in the cause in the avenue of a tragic death, unexpected, financially not prepared. You've lost a relationship someone you love and share and care about, right. and now you got to talk about money. That doesn't seem to work well together. And in my 34 years of experience, families struggle with that mightily, uh, that you have to talk about finances and when you're talking about celebrating the life of a loved one. So I think you're doing a wonderful thing for yourself and family. And it's individual to every family. Sure. But we absolutely recommend you take care of that, at least the transactional part. So the relational part of planning a life celebration can then go forward in celebrating, again, that loved one's life. Right. Because I know many people have unreconciled relationships. And whether it's, you know, the the children of the deceased or or relatives, friends, you know, that they they thought that they have a chance, you know, Mm -hmm. to uh, to make that right before they lost that person. And then. Maybe you're sitting there with a big life insurance check, and then you're like, "Well, I'm just going to get them the the bronze casket," you know. <laughs> and you know, I don't think you're going to make good decisions, you know, in in those kinds of circumstances. So we do appreciate dignity and what they do for people and help, you know. And it's 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 just kind of macabre to, mm-hmm. you know. It was hard for me to convince Kim. You know, my wife Kim. Yes, like, sir. All right, it's time for us to plan our funerals. You know, and it's like, well, that doesn't it's not much fun. But so I, I want to ask you. Someone like me who likes to talk a lot, you know, it's hard when uh, when you're with people that are grieving mm-hmm. and you want to say something. You, you just feel obligated to say something, you know, to try to comfort them and you don't have very good words. So I'm sure you've been given some training, you know, and I, I, I see how you conduct yourself at church and stuff too. You know, you're very good about gesturing and using body language and, you know, the, the well-placed hand on the shoulder and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but what advice can you give others who want to comfort but must recognize, you know, that, that words are not always helpful? Well, Jesus' friend Lazarus, Lazarus died. 
And what did Jesus do? I'll answer. He wept. We're, we can also weep. It's okay. Uh, it's especially difficult for men because uh, we have to be the strong, silent type. But we, and not saying we as funeral professionals, we weep, but we allow our families to weep however they choose to grieve and mourn the passing. Because, again, it's not the, just the physical person. It's the relationship that you had with that person who's now gone. So being present, and that means a, a lot is in those two little words, being present. Allow that person to talk if they want to. A good friend of mine years ago in another state, a widow, husband had recently retired, they were planning the rest of their lives, the next level. And he's sitting all professional at his desk and talking to her, planning his services. And the widow, very professional woman in her life, she starts to cry. She starts to weep in the office. The director, being a compassionate man, simply leaned forward and pushed a box of tissue toward her. As he did so, he put himself closer to her. She looked up and reached and actually slapped him. Wow. Yeah, for no, real. For real. Yeah. For real is what she actually did. And in doing so, he, of course, moved back away quickly. <laughs> Grief was speaking. And she began to say, why did you have to die now? We're just getting ready to live again. Our second phase of life, us together, no kids, no encumbrances. But now he was gone. That was grief speaking out loud. Of course, that director <laughs> recomposed himself and continued to serve her, and he served her very well. Um, that's just an example. But everybody goes through grief so differently. Being present, not trying to say a ton of things or do a ton of things, just be present like you would a friend. Yeah. Well, I know we have a common friend, Linda Johnson, and her husband Chris uh, passed away, and Kim actually, you know, took care of him in, in the last, you know, week or so of, of his life, and you know, so we we had that experience, and, and just to uh, to sit, you know, at her house after that, you know, she wanted us to stay because she didn't want to be by herself and alone, and you feel awkward. It's hard to be, you know, that person, but it was probably, you know, to see seeing Kim really do that and how she cared for him and then just some people just have such a gift you know mm-hmm. that compassion and being able to uh, be in those difficult situations but mm-hmm. death is a very natural thing right i mean we no one escapes i i like the quote you know we're all just milk cartons walking around we don't know what the expiration date is you know? <laughs> david <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway i know you're in a serious business but uh, i'm not you know <laughs> But, well, so, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, positive and uplifting things because that's really what, you know, we're trying to offer mm-hmm. hope and, and encouragement to people. It's Palm Sunday. So, you know, today we begin, you know, with a triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and everybody's shouting for him. And then, you know, we know on Friday he's crucified. And then those those disciples, you know, I can't imagine. Again, I'm just imagining what they were like. You know, this is, this is my rabbi, my teacher, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know if he had told them that he was God, but I don't know what they expected. But when they see him die, I cannot imagine, you know, what kind of grief, you know, they must have been feeling. And then the the uncertainty, the doubting, you know, really having your faith shaken. You know, can you can you talk a little bit about that and what you've observed or experienced, you know, when people's faith is really shaken, you know, because of a death? 
Well, that friend you mentioned, I'll dovetail on and then answer your sure. question yeah. or comment. Um, we were actually at his home when he ta- when he passed. Oh, okay. And know. we held his hand. We held Linda's hand. And my wife sang to him. Oh, yeah. She's got a beautiful voice, folks. Yeah. But it was amazing to watch him go home. Yeah. And faith is what took his wife through, what keeps taking us through. But I'll share this story with you and as brief as I can be. Uh, this young man of 16 years old or 16 living in East Texas, having just the time of his life growing up. Everything was really good. Country towns are great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just growing into his own. Um, but loss struck his family. First of all, his great-grandmother, a Christian, loving woman, kind woman, she passed at 86 years old. That was pretty hard for this 16-year-old. And and actually, he was 14 at the time. Next year, tragedy visited again. His idol, his grandfather, the person who he again, idolized the most on this earth. He passed at age 15. Doubly difficult. And then his mother, he's now 16, this young man, she passed. She was only 36 years old. Wow. Yeah. She, it was difficult mm-hmm. for everyone, not just for the 16-year-old. So that's three people in the span of three years that were totally impactful on this 16-year-old young man's life are now gone. This young man's faith was shaken to the very core. He was baptized at age 11, just a few years earlier. He understood what a Christian meant and what baptism meant, but he understood it as an 11-year-old, obviously. Right. Right. <laughs> and so he was shaken to his very core. But at 16 years of age, this young man remembered what that preacher told him while standing in that pond in the middle of a cornfield at age 11. And that preacher said, you're a new creature in Christ. And he promised to never leave you alone. Well, David, I am that young man. That was you? That was me. Wow. That's, that's that crazy. is me. And... My faith obviously has grown and continue to grow every single day. I am in a business where I've learned through loss to help others who've experienced loss, not knowing what to do, how to do, when to do. But I know that Christ loved me, not just because that preacher said it, but because I believe it. So my faith has helped carry me through and keep me going in my work in the darkest days there because I walk in people's lives every day day. They don't know where to go, where to turn. Some are Christian, some are not. Some are babies, some are living out loud. But grief, when it comes, is crippling to almost everyone. I say there are two things we get to do every day. We get a chance and we get a choice. I try to put more into the choices we make because those choices determine our destination. Indeed. Well, I did not know that. What's your story, Tim? <laughs> well, I've known you for a while. So thank you for being uh, vulnerable and, and transparent, you know, because that's really, you know, what, what this show is about. Um, you know, I, 
you, you told me another story yesterday when we were preparing. I, I, I think, you know, we have time. And so uh, tell me about, was it Johnny the Carpenter? It, it, yeah. Actually, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. Okay, okay. Close enough. You got the okay. J right. right. Well, okay. I'll share with you. And this obviously is human nature. Well, there's a story. It's called Jimmy the Carper, Carpenter. Well, Jimmy and Ed, they're custom home builders. Ed is the owner of the company itself. And Jimmy is the lead carpenter of this company. And um, great relationship, again, 30-year relationship. But the time has come. Jimmy, he's done this a minute. You know, he's the laborer on the ground. He is the boss. Uh, but Jimmy decided he wants to retire. So he goes to Ed and shares his feelings with him. And Ed's like, oh, my goodness, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy says, yes, Ed. His it's, wife and I discussed it. It's time. So Ed, even though he lamented, he said, Jimmy, will you do me a favor? Will you help me build one more custom home? Jimmy, because of the friendship, says, Ed, for you, I'll do it. So uh, I'm not a home builder, but I kind of looked these things up. I said, wow, what all goes into a custom home? And I found there are tons of bells and whistles uh, that go into the building of a custom home because that's someone's idea, and that builder has to make it happen. But Jimmy, being the lead carpenter, very good at what he does, always has been, he delves into the job headfirst, as they've done many times before. And as time goes by, um, details come fast and furious. And sure enough, and and then think about it a moment. Also, there's details behind the scenes that the average person wouldn't know if the builder didn't do them. You can cut corners and nobody would know because it's behind that wall or hidden away. But at any rate, Jimmy is a man of his word. He does the job. He does everything. So finally, nine and a half months later, job's done. So another great custom home. So Ed, the builder, the owner, they're walking through, doing their final walkthrough of that home along with Jimmy. And they go room by room, inspecting the work. Everything is perfect. As they get to the front door, they're about to leave. Ed pauses and looks at Jimmy, reaches into his pocket and said, Jimmy, this home is for you. Jimmy Bot loses it. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. He wasn't kidding. But he gives him the keys. He gives him the keys. And again, it's uh, just another way of you do things not as unto yourself, but as unto who we serve, which is the Almighty himself. Jimmy gave his best. That's right. And folks, you know, it is, this is the Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Uh, we're coming into Easter Sunday, the high holy day of the year. And like those disciples on the road, uh, we just need to keep the faith. And I'd like to uh, just take a moment here real quickly to uh, to thank our generous sponsor, ERS, Electronic Restoration Services. They also want to help you win when you have to deal with loss. When lightning strikes, you might think your electronic equipment is dead. But ERS can help you resurrect your old equipment. They restore damaged fabric and art as well now, so uh, remember to call ERS. And if you have any other uh, ideas or suggestions about topics that we could cover here on Wrestling with the Inner Man, send us an email at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. So, Tim, again, thank you. Thank you for what you do. It, uh, a difficult business for someone like me, but someone like you is gifted, you know, and really hearing your story, I know that uh, maybe that's what God always planned for you to do. So I'll just close with a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for 
for Tim and for funeral directors and for those who help us walk this path of grief and comfort us as we do that because we all will ultimately be in a better place if we're believers and that's with you in your heavenly kingdom and we just thank you in jesus christ's name amen amen all right tim well thanks for coming on the show and we'll see you all next time remember wrestling with the inner man at gmail.com if you got any ideas appreciate it am 1070 the answer wrestling with the inner man thanks for listening to wrestling with the inner man with david savage We believe the winners in this ring. Courageously follow God's word. Love and protect God's woman. Excel at God's work. Batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling With The Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.